So um, there was a photographer who was taking class pictures of a class of first graders, and he was asking them like the standard question you ask a kid when, you, when you're talking with a kid, hey, what are you going to be when you grow up? Right? We, we get asked that question. That's, that's the question. I'd be, I'd be interested, actually, we don't have time for this this morning, but to hear what your answers were to that question, you know, if you're doing what you thought you were going to be doing when you, when you grew up. Um, I'm not an astronaut, so that didn't work out. Actually, I don't know what my, I don't even remember what my answer was, to be honest. It might take me a few minutes to remember uh, what, my, what my answer was. And fortunately, we don't have to lock in, you know, to our decisions. It's like, no, you said, you know, when you were a kid, you were going to be this, and so that's what you have to be. Uh, but the photographer is kind of making small talk, trying to get the kids comfortable for, the, for their pictures to be taken. And he asked the standard question uh, to a little girl. He says, what are you going to be when you grow up? And her answer was, tired. What are you going to be when you grow up? I'm tired. You know, she, I'm sure that this came from her observing the adults around her and noticing that they tended to be tired. And so she's like, I guess that's what I'm going to be when I grow up. Now, moment of honesty here in the room. How many of you are tired? Raise your hand if you are tired. My friends, it's worse than I thought because some of you are too tired even to raise your hands. Right, that's very tired. I, I am tired. My hand went up this morning. Um, last night I was here a, a kind of late to drop something off real quick and print something. And I was driving my wife's vehicle, our, our minivan, you know, standard issue uh, minivan here. That, and I, I got to the parking lot and I hopped out and I heard just this sound that sounded like the sprinklers were on, but it is not the season for sprinklers. And so it wasn't the sprinklers, just this, just sound. And I'm like listening around by my, by the van, listening, listening. And I see that in one of the tires, there is a chunk of metal just in that tire of the van. And it's just, the, the air is just spraying out and it's quickly going flat. And that was, it was kind of a rough deal. And I thought, well, maybe I can pump it up enough to get home, you know, and I have the nice jack at home that I could jack up the, the van on and, and swap out a tire. I actually do have a whole full spare tire ready to go if needed. And I um, unfortunately couldn't do it. It wouldn't hold any air pressure, so I had to use the little jack that comes with the van and then drop the, the, the tire, you know, underneath and crank it down because it's a minivan and the seats fold up, so the tire goes in a weird spot. So I was doing that to, like, so way too late last night, and so I am, I am very tired, but I am still glad uh, to be here. And you were so honest this morning. So many of your hands went up when, we, when I asked how many of you are tired. In fact, there's kind of a, so there's a standard small talk thing that we do when we are talking with somebody. Some of you probably did it this morning. Hey, how are you? What's the standard answer to the question, how are you? Fine or good, right? So I, how are you? Fine or I'm good. How, here's the stand, what's the standard answer to this question? How have you been? I heard like eight different answers, so they can't, maybe there's not a standardized answer like I thought. They didn't go like I thought it would. But I did hear it out there, which was busy. How have you been? Busy. Our culture runs at a pace that is relentless. Our modern society has a, like a life-pacing issue where it is rapid, it is constant. We have a term for it, right? We call it 24-7. We run in this 24-7 rhythm of life, this pace of life that is not super friendly, not super kind to our souls. It's not really oriented around wholeness and health as a person, 
right? You have access to information. All the bad news in the world you could pull up on your phone right now. You could scroll and find out all the things going on. That has an effect on your soul. You can order items um, to be delivered to your home and have it here the next day. In some parts of the country, it can be same-day delivery with uh, Amazon. Certainly, you can order food at basically 24 hours a day and have some person, you know, drop it off at your home. Um, we, we now are getting the Amazon deliveries. Amazon's doing a lot of their own deliveries here in Spokane. And so 8 o'clock at night, you know, there'll be some exhausted person walking out of a van in front of my house, dropping off something and taking a picture of it, you know, on my front steps. But it's, th- this is con- constant, and the pace is relentless. And it is not oriented, our society is not oriented in a way that will protect your soul or provide for your spiritual health or even your physical health or emotional health. Health. We live in a 24-7 world with a relentless pace, and if you are going to do anything to not let the, the culture keep your time clock for you and your pacing for you, it's going to be because you decided, I'm going to put some practices in, my, in, in place in my life that, that, that will help me be healthier, that will help me live a more balanced and, and a better rhythm of life in your life. The culture will not do that for you. The culture will require more of you than you, can, than you can give. The culture will require that you keep up the hustle and the pace constantly. You will have to be the one that puts practices in place in your life, healthy rhythms of life that will help you lead a healthier life physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. We're, we've been talking about, earlier in the year, we started off talking about spiritual disciplines, these core practices that we put into place in our life. And we talked about things like church, attending, attending church, reading God's word, spending time in prayer, these practices. And I want to introduce another practice to you this morning that comes from the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. We've been going through this series, we're calling it Ten Words, because that's the title given to these commandments in the scripture. We know them historically as the Ten Commandments. You can call them either one, Ten Commandments, Ten Words. It's just the series title is Ten Words. But we come to the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments that are given. This is week four of a ten-week series. It's going to take us right up to Palm Sunday. will be our last one. Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter. And so on the the fourth commandment is given in Exodus chapter 20. So that's the passage we've been reading each week. Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to be in verse 8 in a few moments. And then we've got a couple other verses we'll look at um, together this morning. But we'll start with looking at the fourth commandment. Exodus chapter 20. Verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, The Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So I've been challenging you to try to remember and to learn the Ten Commandments each week, and we've you know, done this somewhat childish thing, but I think something that's helpful to help us remember. And it's a childish thing because I literally found out about it from a video about teaching kids the Ten Commandments. But there's a little memory aid. If you're trying to remember what the Ten Commandments are, and you can feel free to do this with me. I'm going to go from one all the way to four here, and I'll teach you the fourth one um, in a moment here. But remember, so the first commandment, if you put up one finger, you remember the first commandment. God comes first. You shall have no other gods before me. God is number one. 
right? The second one, we use two fingers for that one, right? Which is, the, and then you bow down to the other finger with the, with the first finger here, that, that no idols, you shall have no graven images, right? Do, no idols. The third one, we said, it forms a W, right? If you hold up three fingers, you've got a W, and it's, it's, you have to be cautious, thoughtful, careful about the words that you use. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. If you put up four fingers with the thumb tucked in and kind of push it out like that, um, then you can it'd be like, stop, right? Stop, which is the fourth commandment, which is to literally cease, stop your labors on the Sabbath day. Um, I was told when I was showing my family how this one, they said, make sure you don't put your hand too high, Donnie. I was like, okay, thank you. I was I, you know, like, this is the fourth one. They're like, no, 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 careful. Um, so then here's the, fr- the first um, the first three commandments, and in fact, eight out of the ten commandments are things you should not do, right? Thou shalt not, right? There's things that you should not do. This, this is a positive command. It's the first of the positive commands. This you should do, which is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The second, well, the, the fifth commandment is the second positive command. The other eight are things you should not do, and it's to honor your father and mother, now, this is one of the most frequently co- repeated commandments in the Bible. It's all over the scripture. And we see here it's tied back to creation, that God, when he created the world, did so on six days and rested on the seventh day. When the Israelites heard this commandment in Exodus 20, when they're gathered around Mount Sinai, this was not the first they'd heard of a Sabbath day, that there'd be this practice that they would do, that one day in seven they would have a day of rest where they would cease from their labors. Instead of the 24-7 rhythm of life, they were to practice a 24-6 rhythm of life, one day of rest. They had heard about this previously because when God provided the manna for them in the wilderness, right, they're out all these thousands of people traveling through the wilderness and they need food. And they, 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 what are we going to do? We don't have food to, to feed our children and to feed ourselves. What are we going to do? Remember God's solution. He sends manna from heaven to them. It would fall on the ground. They would go out and collect the manna. Except for on the seventh day, they would not collect manna because on the sixth day, they would collect twice as much and God would preserve it for them so they could be able to use that manna to eat on the seventh day. Now, I've been teasing this for the last four weeks. We've been talking about how all the Ten Commandments still apply for followers of Christ. And there's a lot of debate about this fourth commandment. What do you do with the commandment to keep the Sabbath? Because if you know anything about the Old Testament and the Jewish faith, this is practiced from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, a 24-hour period of time, specifically on those times, Friday evening to Saturday evening, that was the Sabbath for the children of Israel. Do Christians, are they obliged to do this and to practice this in the same way? Well, Seventh-day Adventists are not meeting for worship today because they believe that Christians must observe the Sabbath and, and keep the same day on the calendar as the Jewish people did. And so Seventh-day Adventists would say, absolutely, You must obey this commandment the same way the Jewish people obeyed this commandment. I want to give you a few things to think about, a really quick theology lesson, and we'll get into the the more practical stuff for us. That for Christians, we we understand the Sabbath as, as first, that it was a sign of the Old Covenant. It was a symbol and a sign of the Mosaic Covenant given to Moses, given to the children of Israel. It was a symbol of that. This day represents this 
covenant, this promise, this thing that God did with the nation of Israel. Secondly, we've entered into something that we describe, Hebrews 4 describes as the Sabbath rest of Jesus. That because of what Jesus has done, we enter his rest. That Jesus fulfilled something about this, what this Sabbath day meant for them. Jesus fulfilled it, specifically through his death on the cross and his resurrection and triumph over sin in the grave. Thirdly, and briefly here, this is one of the only Ten Commandments not repeated in the New Testament. This is, or this is the only, only commandment not repeated in the Ten Commandments. The rest of them show up in the New Testament as like just ethical teaching that Christians must obey, we must observe. Fourthly, we are not to judge each other over Sabbaths. Colossians chapter 2 talks about this, that in the early church, there was this debate about what rules should new Christians that were from a Gentile background follow. Should they observe the Sabbath? Colossians chapter 2, uh, verses 16 to 17, the Apostle Paul speaks very specifically to that. And he says that the Sabbath was a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Jesus. And so because that's true, we're not to judge each other in terms of whether or not we observe the Sabbath, and even which day we celebrate, and things like that. Fifthly, the pattern of the early church, that very, very early, the church began to worship on what they called the Lord's Day. And we know that day as Sunday. Anyone know the significance of why that day became the day that they gathered to worship? It's the resurrection, right? It's the very first Easter Sunday. That was the day that Jesus rose from the grave And so the church began to gather on that day, and they called it the Lord's Day. This is the Lord's Day. And so some of the same practices and patterns and things like that, they would carry over to this day. And they say, this is the new Sabbath for the people of of Christ, for Christ's people. So to kind of sum up this little theology lesson, B.B. Warfield was a Bible teacher of a previous generation, and he said, Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him and brought the Lord's Day out of the grave with him on the, on the resurrection morn. So for Christians, the, the, the following of the Sabbath in the same way that the ancient Israelites did, this, is not the, this does not hold the same level of authority or command that the other nine commandments do for us. But all that being said, why would you not take one day out of seven where you rest? Right? There, there, and remember that God ties this, or Moses ties this to creation. And he says there's something deeply human about taking a day of rest, that God who made us in his image rested one day out of seven. God was not tuckered out after all that creating. You know, he's like, I'm, not, I'm so tired from making all these amazing things. I need to take a break. God is all-powerful. God does not need to rest. He never grows weary, Scripture tells us. He's always there. He's always at work. We don't need to worry about him ever being tired. But he was modeling for the people made in his image that this one day in seven pattern is wise. This is what we need. The people made in the image of God need to rest. The, the Sabbath commandments and the Sabbath teaching is repeated over and over again throughout Scripture. But I want to look at another verse briefly. Exodus chapter 34, verse 21. This is Moses um, speaking on behalf of God or speaking the teachings of God. And he says, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall, what's it say there? You shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. I want to give you um, two letters. We know these letters. We use them in our culture, but R and R. 
uh, R&R, right? So R&R stand for what in our, in our culture? Rest and relaxation. It's the RV store up on the north side, you know, and there's one in the valley, I guess. R&R, RV, your RV superstore or whatever it is, right? So um, R&R in our culture stands for rest and relaxation. I want to keep that first word rest, but I want to give you a second word, which is remember. Rest and remember that on the Sabbath day, you need R&R. You need to rest and you need to remember. And I love this verse, Exodus 34, uh, verse 21, because it answers one of the first questions that would come up for people when they're given this command. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. And then it says, in plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. Now, first I want to talk about this six days you shall work piece. And this will be brief. But, but this idea of work is really important for humanity as well. We, we need meaningful work to do. Um, you know, people that, that, like win the lottery, they're like, I'm going to quit my job. That's like the first thing they do, right? I'm going to quit my job. And a lot, a lot of people um, end up when they either come to retirement time or they stop working for some other reason, they're on disability or, or whatever the case may be, they feel a deep lack like, they're like, that. I need something purposeful to do, something meaningful to do. And we will sometimes think when we, when we read the creation account and the, the story of the fall, that work is a part of the curse. They're like, the reason why everyone has to go to work all the time is because of the fall. Because, you know, if Adam and Eve never took that apple, right, this never would have happened. I would never have to go to this work at this job that I don't like, right? Work itself was not a part of the fall. Toil was a part of the fall, right? There's a difference. You, you might, I, I think a lot of people have jobs that they, that is not their dream job. They do the job because they need, need a paycheck and the whole job feels like toil. And I understand that and I have compassion for you if you feel that way. Um, but even those of you who have jobs that you love, you, you, there's parts of, that, parts of that job that are toil. Part of that job you don't like. Maybe a little piece, maybe you like most of it, but there's parts of it that are toil. Toil is a part of the fall, not work. Humans need meaningful work to do. The book of Proverbs talks in a number of places about this character, this almost cartoonish character called the sluggard. If you ever read through the book of Proverbs, you see the sluggard over and over again, just this um, kind of comic relief in Proverbs about this person who's just so lazy, right? And their life begins to fall apart and their homes begin to fall apart. And they're, this is the sluggard puts his hand in the dish and is too tired to put it into his mouth. It's like, I just, you know, they, that might happen at the Super Bowl today for some of you. I don't know. You're just, I'm so, I, yeah. I put my hand in the tortilla bowl, tortilla chip bowl, and it just stayed there. Um, we, we, need, we need work to do. You, you need, like, laziness is actually a problem. For, for people. We need meaningful, vocational type things, something to give our lives to because it helps give us purpose. It's part of how we were created. Even Adam and Eve in the garden, they, had, they cultivated the garden. That was part of what they were created for. And then it was only after the fall that the work became toil. Meaningful work matters for humans. But I think for the majority of people, their issue is not that they are, are lazy or don't have any kind of meaningful thing to do. It's that there's an out-of-balance relationship with their work. It's all work and no rest. It's the 24-7 pace of life, and we need rest. God designed us to take breaks and to not have this just kind of relentless, endless pace of life. 24-6 is God's way of doing things. 24-7 is the way that the world does things. And the question that gets answered here in verse 21, which would have been the first question they would have asked probably when they heard this command, 
What about plowing time and harvest time? God, that's our busy time. This is an agricultural society. That's the busiest time of the year. These kind of two seasons, it's plowing, planting time, plowing time, and harvest time. We are so busy on those days, on those weeks. We need to work a seven, uh, you know, all seven days because we've got to bring the crops in. We've got to plant the seeds. We've got to do this. This is the busiest time of the year for us. What about those days? And God's response is, yes, on those days. You also rest then, even in the busy seasons. Um, we often think, right, we get, get this idea that, hey, if we, like, I, I get, like, you might be hearing what I'm saying. I'm saying you're not designed to work at a 24-7 pace. You need to have a more 24-6 rhythm of life. Take breaks sometimes. Have days for rest. Have days for remembering. And you go, yeah, I get that. I understand what you're saying, Donnie, but I'm so busy right now. I will. Well, things will slow down in a little bit, and then I'll rest then. And I got to say to you, with all due respect, you probably won't, right? We have things that will just fill our calendars and fill our lives, and it is so easy to just fill it and completely pack it full to where we never rest, and you are not designed, you are not created to run at a 24-7 pace, you have to build things in your life intentionally to, to have that kind of structure. I remember the early days of the pandemic, right? When we, it was March 2020, and we're watching the news, which that is so long ago now, right? Almost four years ago now. Um, and I remember this, this like, hey, you ha everyone's got to stay home two weeks to flatten the curve, and we're not going to get into whole discussions. Lots we could say about that, right? But that was the initial idea, right? Two weeks to flatten the curve. You need to stay home um, for that two-week period of time. And there was, there, there was a mix of emotions, wasn't there, if you remember that, that period of time. It was some uncertainty, some fear. How bad is this thing going to get? How dangerous is, the, is this going to be? Is there going to be loved ones that lose their lives to this. this. There was a lot of fear and uncertainty during that time. And in the mix of this fear and uncertainty was a little bit of like an idea that, hey, we're, we're all going to have to take a break. We're forced. Society is forced to take a break, right? Except for those poor, poor people that could not take a break, right? That had to drop the food off and things like that and had to pick up the garbage. But a lot of people got to just stay home and it was, like, it was like a snow day kind of situation, right, for, for like the two weeks that stretched out, of course, into a longer period of time. But there was this moment where everyone realized, hey, I'm, I'm busy right now. And there's a part of this, even with all that uncertainty and fear, a little bit of a relief that we have to take a break, right? People started doing hobbies, right? All the sourdough bread makers that, you know, started during that time. Um, people... People got like, you know, exercise routines sometimes. A lot of people, a lot more people had really high hopes for stuff they were going to do with all their extra time that they, that they didn't do. But there was this moment where the pace of society just stopped for, for an extended period of time. And, and I think that the way some of us felt during that time should be an indication that our culture's pace is out of whack, right? That it's not built in a way that is, sustains healthy patterns and habits, so we need to rest. We need these time periods where we need to just actually stop, which is what the Sabbath means. It means cease, to cease. And so for, for many people, um, I think for the majority of people in our congregation, Sunday is the most reasonable day for you to take as your Sabbath day. 
And I recommend a 24-hour period of time, whether that's an evening Saturday to evening Sunday or all day Sunday or whatever the case may be. I think you need this maybe more than you do. And I, the vast majority of people do not do this, by the way. People keep their schedule packed. My, my wife and I and my kids, we have protected a day, one day out of seven, and it's not Sunday for us, but one day out of seven that, that we protect as our, our in our day, right? It's rest and remembering. It's time to recharge. It's time to, to rest and, and feel this kind of sense of renewal that we know that we need because we're not designed to run at a 24-7 pace. We need a 24-6 pace. And I think it's helped us to stay engaged in ministry, to not burn out, to, to do all these kinds of things, that we have this one day a week that is our rest day. And it gets complicated sometimes, right, depending on what age your kids are. If you have kids, it, it, it's extra complicated. It might take some creativity to figure out what that day looks like and what you will do during that day. It might be a tag team situation with one parent or the other. It's like, hey, I'm going to take some time to rest. I'm going to read. I'm going to listen to music. I'm going to go for a walk or whatever, and you're on duty, and then we'll trade off. You know, maybe, maybe it's something like that. Susanna Wesley, who died in the 1740s, lived in late 1600s to the, to the 1740s, was the mother of John and Charles Wesley. And she, if you know those names, that's who started Methodism, right? That's the whole, the whole Methodist movement started because of John and Charles Wesley. John was a preacher that went all over England and even the United States spreading the gospel, um, sharing the good news of Jesus. And li- literally thousands of people, I think even millions of people, came to faith. He changed the country of England. People have studied this that England before John Wesley and England after John Wesley were drastically different in terms of crime, the strength of the family, all the institutions that support society. It was, he, they changed, God changed the world through these men. Charles Wesley uh, wrote 9,000 hymns. That's bananas. Like if you think about the scale of that, 9,000 hymns. I don't know how long it took him to write one, but that's an impressive amount of songs that he wrote. Some are still sung, um, and then Jerry Sitzer, one of my favorite um, professors at Whitworth, he says some of them were, were just no good at all, and then they went out, they're forgotten, you know, forgotten to history. But some of them are great, and we still sing them sometimes in church. But John and Charles Wesley's mother was this woman named Susanna. Susanna Wesley had 19 children. Um, this is the time where infant mortality was very high. Nine of them died as infants. She, she had 10 children in her home. And she was someone that her, her husband would often leave for extended periods of time, either from conflict or work or debtor's prison in one case. And so she was solo with these kids. They lost two homes in a fire, by the way. I mean, their life was hard. But she determined that, hey, she was going to devote some time in her life to God. She knew the importance of prayer and praying for her children And so what she did, her practice, every afternoon for one hour, she would sit in her favorite rocking chair, and she would put her apron over her head. And her kids all knew, hey, when you see mom with the apron over her head, just just give her a little break. Just give her some time there. And so every day for one hour, she did this. She had the apron over her head praying for her kids praying for God to work in their lives and in the lives of her country. And through her work, through her influence on her children's lives, the country was changed. The world was changed in many ways because of their, um, because of the spiritual impact. So I mentioned that story to say sometimes it takes some creativity to figure out how you're going to take some time for rest and remembering and figuring out how these things will work in your life and what the practice will do. By, By the way, 
resting on the Sabbath for the nation of Israel what was a lot of work. And it continues to be a lot of work for Jewish people today, right? There's a lot of preparation that needs to be done. You know, specifically with the manna, they had to do twice as much work because they had to collect twice as much manna so that they had manna left over on the Sabbath day. And this requires a lot of trust in God, which is one of the main things, one of the main reasons we don't do this in our life. We don't practice something like Sabbath in our lives is because we feel like everything is hinging upon us. Like if I stop, everything's going to just break down. Like if I, if I take a break, if my kids don't have the elaborate meal or whatever that I would prepare for them normally, and it's a more simple meal because it's our day of rest or whatever, that, that everything's just going to go poorly, right? Um, maybe that wasn't a bad, bad example. I don't know what, what your home life is like. But, but the, the idea that, or the, if I stop for a moment with my work, everything's going to fall apart. If the plates stop spinning, right, they're going to just be crashing everywhere. We need to trust God just like the ancient Israelites did that they can stop and rest and recognize that God is God and we are not God. And because that's true, we can take some R&R. We can rest, we can remember, we can relax, we can enjoy just who we are and our identity in Christ and we can do things that refresh us, right? We, we gather for worship like we did this morning. I, I love, this is a great crowd for Super Bowl Sunday, everybody. Nice job, you came here uh, this is an important part of our Sabbath, is to come together and worship and to, to sing praises to God, to learn from his word. So do things that refresh you on that one day in seven. If you're going to practice this, and if you're going to build this into your life, do things that refresh you. For some of you, you work with your hands. Your, your day-to-day job is, is labor. And so for a lot of times, people that work with their hands, they rest with their mind. This is the day where you read a book. You watch that documentary, you learn, learn something new. If you work with your mind, often we can rest with our hands. And something that might be work for one person is a very relaxing and refueling activity for a different person with a different way of life. You know, it's interesting to see um, the way Jesus practiced the Sabbath. You know, Jesus definitely practiced the Sabbath and had these healthy rhythms in his life. And he would go away by himself for, for a while to, to pray, and you know, he, he, would, he had these practices in his life, and he definitely obeyed the Sabbath as given by God's commands. But you know where he had this, these challenges over and over again was all the rules that the rabbis had built up around the Sabbath. Because the question is, hey, on six days you shall work. Okay, well, what's work? So that we know that we're not doing that on that seventh day. How do we take a break from our work on the seventh day? What sorts of things are work? So the rabbis had 30, a list of 39 prohibited types of activities. And it's things like carrying things, right? Or walking more than a specific distance. Um, it, that, that, that's work. That's a list of 39. In fact, I saw like a periodic table of, of elements where it was like all the 39 different prohibited activities on the Sabbath. Someone had put them together in a graphic that looked like a periodic table of elements. And Jesus over and over again would break those man-made rules while keeping the actual heart of the Sabbath and what God was requiring and what God was asking of his people. In fact, if you're reading the Gospels and you get to a part where it says, on one Sabbath day, you know that Jesus is about to do something scandalous, right? Where the religious leaders are going to be upset with him. You know, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field on the Sabbath day. You're like, oh boy, here we go. You know, this is going to be, this is going to be a rough one for those, those uh, leaders. But Jesus' response when he was questioned about this was, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He said these these prohibitions have made it a burden, something that was supposed to be a blessing. It was a gift to humanity that you could have one day in seven 
where you could rest. So it might take some work to figure out what that might look like for you, uh, a little bit of preparation work to figure out how, how that might work. But I, I implore you, I encourage you to practice the Sabbath. Take some time every week, even if you can't do a full 24 hours, to figure out a period of time that you can set aside for rest and relaxation that will refresh your soul, rest in remembrance, and do things that refresh you. I, I believe that this is a life hack, by the way, that if you, if you will devote some time every week that, that is your break time, a little mini vacation every week, you will be more productive in those other six days. You will get more done knowing you've got that break coming up. We've all had the experience of if you're getting ready for a vacation and you know you've got a bunch of stuff you've got to get done because you've got that week off coming up or two weeks off coming up, you are so productive. Right? Like, I've got to get 100 things done that I, I have to finish these things before I can go on vacation and enjoy myself. You have the most productive week of your life that week before the vacation. It's a similar idea with Sabbath that if you know that you have that rest coming up, you, you can get more done and you'll be refreshed and ready to get back into your week if you practice this. One more passage here this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, and we'll talk about what it means to remember and the importance of that second R, rest and remember. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15 say this. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day." This is uh, from the book of Deuteronomy, which in the flow of Scripture, Deuteronomy is basically a sermon. It's Moses recapping the faithfulness of God and all the things that God's brought Israel through. And he kind of goes through the commandments again and talks about the things that God is asking the nation to do. And this is from that portion. He's, he's telling them, it, this is before Moses leaves the stage, so to speak. He's, he, he, uh, he dies. Um, after, at the end of Deuteronomy, we have the, the account of his death. But before he leaves, it's like, hey, everyone, you need to remember this. And Deuteronomy kind of recaps their story in the form of a sermon given by Moses. And he says that um, specifically, right, the, by the way, before we get to this, this portion that I was about to talk about, it's the Sabbath is for everybody. It's, it's not just for like sp specific people. Right? He says that even your animals should take the day off on that, on that seventh day. I don't know what that looks like in your context. <laughs> to give your dog the day off. I think your dog has the day off every day, so the cat definitely does. Um, but it's this, it's society should be structured in that way in, in the ancient Israelites' time. That's, that was their situation, is that society itself should be structured that way, that everybody gets that one day in seven where they get to take a break. So the second R I said, first is rest. The second one is remember. Remember. And we see that word in Deuteronomy. We see, saw that word in the book of Exodus, that that word remember gets repeated and it's specifically a couple of things. Remember your deliverance. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then God reminds them, this is in Exodus 20. Um, he says, remember creation. Remember that the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and everything that's in them and rested on the seventh day. So remember that. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember creation. And then in Deuteronomy, the reason why we read that passage 
was he says, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He says, remember where God took you from. Remember your situation. Remember your deliverance. Remember that you are a part of creation, that God is God and you are not. He says specifically, remember that you are not slaves anymore. He says, you get to rest because you're not a slave. You, you get to take a break. Slaves don't get breaks. He says, you're not slaves anymore. The Israelites worked 10 days a week. And I know that may not seem possible to you, but the Egyptian calendar, their weeks were 10 days long. As they had like t- three weeks you know, in a month, and it was 10 days long. So they worked 10 days a week. And God, in giving, this, giving them this command, says, actually, a week is going to be seven days, just so you all know moving forward. It's not going to be 10 days anymore. We're not going to keep the Egyptian calendar. Even time itself will be structured differently for you because of your deliverance. You're given a seven-day week, and one of those days is the day of rest and remembrance. I want to show you a picture. This is a little bit unusual, this example I'm going to show you here, but a picture of margins on a paper. Um, that is a piece of paper, uh, not a piece of paper, but it's a, a, a Word document, and it's a paper with one-inch margins, okay? Now, if you're giving the amount of space the margins take up on that paper, if you had to estimate what percentage they take up, how much of that page is margins, what would your guess be? You can say it out loud. 7%? Keep. You just, no one's confident with their answer. I appreciate that. Um, okay. So a lot, most guesses are, you know, somewhere 15 to 25%. The actual, if you calculate it, do all the math, that is, it's 37.4% of the page's area is all margins. One-inch margins around the age. I know some of you will fact-check me right now live. That's, that, that, I, I didn't come up with that. I didn't do the math on, my, myself, uh, on it myself. I might be wrong, but that's what I've been told is 37.4% of the page's area is margins. Now, um, between those lines, that is a double-spaced um, document, right, with even bigger spaces between the paragraphs. And so if you count all that, less than 50% of that page is is actual text, and the rest of it is white space. Now, why do we do that with our assignments and things like that? When I was a student, I thought it was like, I was so grateful. You know, it's like, oh, one-inch margins and double-spaced, that's less writing. That's what I thought it was for, right? I don't have to write as much. I wonder if the teacher will notice if I do 1.1-inch margins, you know, that kind of thing, and a little bit 12.2 text or whatever. No, that's not the reason, right? The reason why we do that with assignments is so that we... It is more readable, right? Um, I've had the privilege of teaching a couple of like college-level classes and other classes over the years. And when, if a student handed me uh, just a wall of text on their page with no margins, like you can't even, like your thumb will cover the text if you're holding the page. Like I would not want to read that, and your teachers did not want to read that in school. And that's why we have the margins. You need that space to be able to get the information and to make it readable, to, to, to be impacted by the information that's there. In a similar way, your life needs margin so that you can remember what is most important, so that you can see the, the information about yourself that you need to see and the information about who God is. Eugene Peterson describes the Sabbath as that uncluttered time and space 
in which we can distance ourselves from our own activities enough to see what God is doing. You need to cease on occasion and enjoy being God's child and remember your deliverance and remember who you are and remember who God is. We need margin for that. If your life is all the way to the edge of the page, you're, you're going to miss details in there. You're not going to understand all these important truths about yourself. We, we look at busyness sometimes in our, in our culture as a sort of a status symbol. Like if, we, if, if we're busy, that's, like, that's a good thing, and that's something that goes far, pretty far back in humanity. There's a book, uh, how about this title? It's called Exhaustion, A History. That's a pretty great book title. Sounds exhausting. I don't want to read that actually, but um, there's a woman named Anna Katharina Schaefer, Schaefner who wrote this book, Exhaustion and History, and in an article written about that book for the New Republic, uh, the author Hannah Rosefield talks about how each era of, of human history kind of remakes this idea of being exhausted in its own image, reflecting its medical, technological, and cultural developments as well as its fears. And she says, exhaustion's dangerous precisely because it keeps us from action. Exhaustion has, for centuries, done double duty as a sign of weakness and a badge of honor. And she looks at kind of different periods of time in the way that just exhaustion was, was dealt with. And then she says, it concludes with this. As Rosefield states, sometimes in the 18th century, doctors and philosophers stopped blaming exhaustion on the weakness of the individual and started blaming it on changes in society. Ever since, exhaustion has been associated with the demands of modern life. But then she transitions to today, and Rosefield says, exhaustion still hints at status, but of a different sort. To say that you're exhausted is a telegraph that you're important, in demand, and successful. Our, our culture looks at this busyness and even this exhaustion as a status symbol. I'm so important, I'm just running myself ragged. For followers of Christ, we can rest knowing that we don't need our status to be spoken over us by us culture and society, that Jesus, the one whose opinion matters most, has spoken the most loudly and most clearly over us and about us. And what he has said is that we are loved, we are of infinite worth and value. And because of that, we can rest. We can cease striving and know that he is God. We're going to have communion in a few moments but I want to remind you of a, of a teaching of Jesus. Jesus stood up in front of all these people and he said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. Because there's a, there's a kind of striving that so many people in our culture and in our society do, which is constantly trying to justify your existence to the world. Like, I matter, I, I have value, I am worthy of, you know, love and respect, and we do this in so many different ways. We do this through relationships, we do this through our career, bank account balance, uh, the, the amount of influence we have on the world. We, we're striving constantly to prove ourselves to the world. And Jesus says to anybody who would experience that, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, you will have rest for your souls. Jesus answers the deepest questions of your heart so you can rest in him. You can remember who you are, that Jesus provides salvation, Jesus provides hope. And that invitation is available to anybody. Um, I'm going to pray for us right now, and then in a few moments we're going to be celebrating communion together.
Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to remember, to rest together, Lord, to experience what it's like to have this um, moment together in time that's sacred, that's set apart for you, devoted to you, where we can worship you, we can learn from your word. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us with this dynamic of, of resting and living in a life, a life pace that is sustainable and that makes sense for our souls and for our hearts, for our emotions. Lord, so many people struggle with this because we're looking for, we just fill up our, our, our worlds, our lives with so much busyness. And it can be overwhelming. But Lord, you're calling us to rest in you. And you showed us what is wise and how, how that could look in our lives through your word. That we're not created for the 24-7 pace. We're created for one, one day in seven to be able to rest. And so, Lord, help every individual under the sound of my voice right now to figure out how, how, that would, how that might look in their lives. And, Lord, to believe this enough that this might make a huge difference in their life if they had a day of rest every week or a time period of rest, a 12-hour period or whatever it might be, Lord. You've created us to rest in you. And that's what this day of rest points to is that deeper soul rest that Hebrews 4 talks about, that we've entered into your rest the way that you fulfill this principle, this idea of Sabbath. And so, Lord, help us with this. And, Lord, I think of those in this room who, or even watching online, who have yet to put their faith in you. And, Lord, maybe they can identify with this idea. They're striving. They're, they're working towards something they feel like will make the difference in their lives. But what they need, what they're really looking for in lots of different places, what they need is you. And so, Lord, I pray that, you would, that they would invite you into their lives right now. Lord, that you would cleanse them of their sins. You would offer the forgiveness and the fresh start and the new life that you offer. Lord, your word tells us that we call upon your name, we'll be saved. We'll put our faith in you and receive the gift of salvation. If there's anyone here that needs to do that today, I pray that right now you would bring them into your family, welcome them in with open arms, give them the rest they're searching for. We're grateful for these moments of remembrance, Lord. This is part of what we do when we celebrate communion as we remember. And so, Lord, as we gather around the table, as we come forward to receive uh, communion, I pray that you would bless this remembrance, bless our worship. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.